Now, I, I'm going to talk about fresh air today, if that's okay. Is that right? Fresh air is what I'm talking about today, which might seem a bit odd. Did you know you can buy fresh air online? Isn't that one of the most ridiculous things in the world? I remember when you first used to be able to buy water in the shops. Was that something that was a bit weird as well? You know, you've got water at home, and yet you go into shops now, there's a whole aisle in Sainsbury's of water. But I looked online, you can buy jars of fresh air from different mountains around the world. Somebody out there is making a lot of money selling nothing. But I thought I would start thinking, well, what is it about fresh air that people want? And so I had a bit of a science lesson this week. This is what this guy said about fresh air. He said, did you know that fresh air can boost your immune, immune system? It may be time to step outside if you find yourself cooped up with tons of other people in your office or even in your home. Such close quarters exposes you to germs. A simple walk outside can boost your immune system. He said, the smell of fresh air reduces stress and increases happiness. Flowers, they encourage you to be calmer. And he said, fresh air energizes. So he says, don't pick up the energy drink. He says, if you spend time in fresh air, surrounded by nature, 90% of people will feel better off. So sometimes when we feel depleted, he says, we reach for a cup of coffee, which I'd just like to say I'm still going to do. But he says, research suggests that a better way to get energized is to connect with nature. And I just thought, there is something about that, is it? That actually, when you breathe in that fresh air, it does something to us. And so what I want to encourage us today when we look at a passage is, is to breathe in almost like a new bit of fresh air regarding our faith. And in the same way that fresh air literally rejuvenates us, our physical bodies, I think I want us to be in a place where our faith can grow and be exercised so that not only do we see our own relationship with Jesus grow, but there is side effects to it because it, it blesses the people around us. And so I want to say that fresh air faith will cause us, like the character we're going to meet, to be maybe a bit more daring in our faith, to be bolder in our prayers, bolder in sharing our faith, and even more active in the places that we long for Jesus to move. Let me just read a bit from Matthew. This is the guy we're going to meet today. This is Matthew 8, um, verses 5 to 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself were a man under authority. When soldiers uh, say, I tell one, go this, and he goes there. When I say, come, he comes. I say to a servant, he does this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in the whole of Israel with such great faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west. They will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very moment. I love it. So we're going to meet this centurion today. The more and more I study the Bible and see that God uses unlikely situations and unlikely people 
He, he uses them to catch us off guard. And he teaches us a new truth about him. So I always think when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and there's all the mutterers. I love in the Bible we have mutterers. Sadly, we have mutterers in our world, don't we? But Zacchaeus almost turns it around because they're not expecting Jesus to meet with Zacchaeus. And then we get the Samaritan woman at the well. She meets Jesus and everyone disapproves of her. And then she goes away and effectively preaches to an entire town. And then we get Peter, the humble fisherman, who, who what I call, he's got foot and mouth disease, isn't he? He always puts his foot in it when he should be doing nothing. But yet Jesus uses him to build the church. And here we have a Roman centurion. The, cent the Romans, the enemies of the Jews, the occupying force, this person who had command over people. He could get them to do what he wanted because he had the full force of the empire behind him. But we meet the centurion and he's, he's different. We meet him and he seems to know Jesus. And he seems to know Jesus deeply. And not just that, he's actually really aware of the power that Jesus has. And what it means to truly command. So the centurion had a hundred soldiers he could get to do what he wanted. And yet he realizes here that his command is, is empty compared with Jesus. It says here in verse 6 that the centurion not only shows great humility towards Jesus but also an awareness and the power that Jesus has. He says to him, just say a word, Jesus, and my servant back in my house will be healed. And I think, do I, do I approach Jesus like that? Do, do we do that? Should we? And probably to us, to those listening to this story, watching what's going on, they're wondering what's happening. Because this centurion is almost relinquishing his power. He's stepping aside from everything they would have known about a centurion because he's realized that his earthly power counts for nothing in this situation. He cannot command the illness to go. He cannot save his servant. He has command over a hundred people. He has the entire Roman Empire behind him and he cannot do this. And it isn't just that he tries and tries and tries and fails and sort of comes to Jesus as a last resort. He's coming to Jesus as a first resort. He recognizes who Jesus is. There is something straight away that I need to learn. Do I come to Jesus first? Or do I try it Mike Palin's way a dozen times first? And then a mate's way. And then I look on the internet and then I Google away. And I think, well, none of those have worked. Okay, Jesus, what can you do about it? The centurion comes to Jesus first. We sadly live in a very self-sufficient world. People appear to not need others. We sometimes aren't very good at taking help. I've got lots of mates sort of aren't Christian, we hang out, and, and they don't see the need for faith because they've got everything they need or they think they need. But Jesus points out how unique this centurion is. Israel was full of God's people. They were God's people. People that had been waiting for Jesus. People that knew the scriptures inside out. People who had the label of being God's chosen people. But when Jesus is right in their midst, they fail to see him. And they fail to come to him. They fail to recognize the person they apparently know so much about. And it's a Roman centurion. The unlikely candidate who seeks Jesus and knows him, 
He knows he's the only one that can give him what he needs, both for his servant and himself. And I think there's something, especially in guys, so guys, I'm talking to you here, there's a little bit in our <clears throat> bravado. Driving the car, your wife offers help with directions. Why would I need help? I'm fine, I know exactly where I'm going. We have this idea that we don't want to ask for help. The bravado is there. And so I do, do I come, my faith is that the same way? Do I just use Jesus? Jesus is my Sunday break. I just use him when I need him. If that is true, if I do that, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who he is. I don't know how much he loves me or what he longs to do in my life. I've got to look at the centurion and learn from his approach. And I wanted to call this talk being daring for the kingdom and being daring for others. Because just what it had been like for the centurion to step out this way. What would his Roman friends have thought? So this is a Roman centurion in command of a large group of people coming to a Jewish rabbi and, 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 and realising he's in command. What would that have done to have put himself out there like that? Would it have done to his career, to what people thought of him? Would it have affected his standing in society? I wonder how many things I do for my faith where I, I don't care about my standing in society because I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. But this is what fresh air faith is like. It's daring, it's selfless, it's alive, it causes us to do things against the norm. Maybe things we shouldn't do. And I think the fresh air thing is really sort of growing in my head. The reason we have holidays is because we need to have that freshness, that breath, that stopping. I once went to a place called Tintagel. I don't know if you've been there. It was one of King Arthur, um, I think it was King Arthur's hangouts. And you can go up onto the top of the castle and the wind is brutal there up there. And you can lean like that into the wind. And I went there with a few mates and we were there for about 10 minutes. There was something unbelievably invigorating and powerful and, and it, you left feeling a little bit affected by what you'd just done. And this is the faith I want to talk about. This is the daring faith that we should be, because of who Jesus is, we should be more daring. Our faith should be louder. And so when we begin to see this centurion more and more, we realise that his heart is to get closer to Jesus. This centurion is a good man. And I wonder what the equivalent would be for us. You know, rather than trying to think of a cliched answer about a servant, because I don't know whether you're like me, I don't have many servants. If you've got lots of servants, well done. But I do wonder, do you, do you maybe help the people and love the people that are easy to love and help? Because I think we all do that. And I think, I think the centurion's loving and helping someone that maybe society says he shouldn't. Romans would have had all types of servants. We know from the Bible what a servant's position was. They're not family. We know how they're treated. They're just, they're a resource. If he wasn't very good as a servant, the Romans quite right to get rid of him. He doesn't have to keep account. Would it have been someone we'd have put our career on hold for? Or, or maybe risked our social standing? A slave was nothing. This centurion slave was useless. He couldn't even be a servant. Why bother keeping him? 
And so I would say to us, do we do the unusual thing, the daring thing? And the daring thing for us, for each of us, will be different. It might be something that others might not think right because you're, you're doing something against the norm. It might not be the easy thing. I wonder what it would have been for this centurion to have done that. But we know it's the kingdom thing. We know that Jesus is asking us to do something, to step out. So I would challenge myself. How many people in my daily, my Monday through Friday, know I'm a Christian? How many people in your work know that about you? Do we seek Jesus for those that are unable to seek him for themselves? Do we seek Jesus for others that the world thinks aren't worth the time? This servant was a disposable resource. And yet the Roman centurion puts his entire life on the line for this servant. The centurion chooses the daring thing. He seeks Jesus on behalf of somebody else. I don't think there's a greater thing you can do than that. To say, I'm going to spend myself, my time, my energies, so that this person will meet Jesus. I would love to be able to have that in my week this week. I would love to be able to seek that. Does my week revolve around me? Was my faith something that happened this week just in the background? Or was it, like the centurion, the daring thing, the kingdom thing? And so I looked at my diary this week and I thought, well, where can I be more daring for the kingdom? What, what person could I point to Jesus by fighting for them, by choosing to prioritise them over myself? We had a really simple idea with our youth group last week. We drew three circles like a target on the wall of our, our youth room. And I said, on the outside thing, write the name of one of your mates at school that you'd like to pray for. Just somebody that pops into your head. And they were drawing names up everywhere. And then I said in the second middle circle, write someone's name, one of those names, or a new name, of someone you're actually going to pray for. And they were like, well, what's the difference? And I said, well, because sometimes say, I'll pray for you, and then we don't. But we, like, we want to pray for you. And I said, well, then in the middle one, the very middle one, the target, write someone that you're going to pray for, but then you're going to tell them you prayed for them. And that might not seem that daring. But to youngsters at school where it's a battlefield to be a Christian... That's daring. To go up to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and say, do you know what, I prayed for you this week. That's going to affect their social standing. That's going to affect what people think of them. But it is the daring thing. It's the kingdom thing. So what is the most daring thing you've done in your life? Did you, have you jumped out of a plane? Have you bungee jumped? Have you asked someone to marry you? Have you spoke in church? Have you got up on a Monday morning? Is that the daring thing? But what is the most daring thing you've done for your faith? Daring for you might not be so daring for me, so don't compare yourself. But do challenge yourself. How are you going to allow those around you this week to see your faith? The centurion chose to seek Jesus, no matter what the cost. This is what it says in the letter for the Hebrews. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Something about this centurion, he believed that Jesus would heal his servant, and he earnestly sought him, no matter what the cost. And remember, this isn't about us, this isn't about what we're capable of. It's about realising and believing what Jesus is capable of. It's about having faith that Jesus will act. That centurion, somehow, we don't know, knew 
Jesus was the only one that was going to do anything. I've learned so much from this centurion because he, he reminds me of who Jesus is. And we think back to all those people that meet Jesus. We think back to the moment in the storm in the boat where Jesus calms that, that furious storm and the disciples and they're trying to work out what's going on. What they think was impossible suddenly becomes possible. The unlikely answer appears to be the answer. The realisation that there is power in Jesus' words. Quiet, be still. And the storm ceased. Let there be light. And there was. Go, let it be done, just as you believed it was. And as his, at that moment, his servant was healed. And you know what's really crazy as I read this down? I'm not sure in this season Jesus even says a word. So we have creation being commanded by word. Here, the centurion, and I don't think Jesus even says anything. That is amazing. And the other thing I love here is that, that faith is rewarded. We're not doing it because we should. We're doing it because we're called to. But also Jesus says, I want to give you back. This great word marvels in the midst. You know, the only other place this sort of original word for marvels is mentioned is when Jesus marvels at the lack of faith of the Pharisees. The only other time it's mentioned. So the only time he uses this word is because he is blown away at lack of faith, and he's blown away at the vastness of faith. This is no small thing for Jesus to say, but he's making a point. He's saying to those guys, you should have had faith, and you didn't. You missed it. This guy, this centurion, probably shouldn't have had faith, and yet he got it. I want then centurion's faith. I want Jesus to look at my faith and marvel. I want to be out of the ordinary. I want my faith to have an effect on those around me. So I'd just like to say, as we, as we sort of finish, don't take your faith to granted. Don't let it tick on in the background like some sort of elevator music. Make sure your faith is fed, is active, is growing. Get yourself in a place where there is fresh air. And you think sometimes you drive past a pond and they look stagnant and dead and things like that. It's because they're not fed. There's no moving water running through them. And so what daring looks like for me might be approaching my five Christian mates who I go with, non-Christian mates who I go out every couple of weeks who seem to be unable to find faith for themselves. So I need to see it for them. I don't know if you've seen uh, those videos of a dog sticking his head out of a car window as it goes down the motorway. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's sort of, it's quite gross because all their face is going everywhere, but the hair's going everywhere. There's something joy about that. There's something daring about that. But there's also something about having that fresh air in their face. They must love it. I've no idea what it must feel like, but they must love it. So I want to say to you, stick your head out of a car window at 70 mile an hour. Metaphorically, don't do that while you're driving. But that is daring faith, that is refreshing faith. Faith that allows you to see Jesus at work, to, to say, God, I want you to move in my life. It is me saying, Jesus, come, move, act, heal, change me, use me. Uh, I've got a favourite wise dead guy, as I call him. 
His name's J.C. Ryle, and he was the Bishop of Liverpool. And I read him a lot, because he's my favourite dead wise guy. Uh, and this is what he says. He says, what do we each know of this faith? This is a great question. Our learning may be small, but do we believe? Our opportunities for giving and working for Christ's cause may be few, but do we believe? We may be neither able to preach nor write nor argue the gospel, but do we believe? May we never rest until we can answer this inquiry. Faith in Christ appears small and simple to the children of the world. They see nothing in it great or grand. But faith in Christ is the most precious thing in God's sight. And like most precious things, is rare. By it, true Christians live. By it, they stand. By it, they overcome the world. Without it, no one can be saved. This is our prayer. May your faith be an adventurous faith. May your faith be an active faith. May it be a a daring faith. But more than that, however daring you're feeling, ensure your faith is ready and willing to grow and see Jesus work in it. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I want to meet that centurion one day. I want to know what he knows. I want to know how he looked at Jesus and knew that is where I want to put my money. That is where I want to place my trust because he is going to do what he says he does and he does it without a word because that is his creator of the universe. He is the one that gave everything up so that I could be in relationship with him. I want to know that Jesus. I want to see that Jesus. I want my faith to be about that Jesus. I want my faith to be a daring faith. Amen.